Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we bow before you with thankful hearts. For we know that you are our creator who created us for the very purpose of worship. You are also the one who has saved us by sending your only begotten Son into this world to pay the debt that we could not pay and to earn us the righteousness that we never could have earned. And we come in His name before you, for He is our Savior. We come confessing that we are sinners in need of Thy grace each and every day. We pray, Father, that we would not cherish any sin in our heart that would hinder our worship, but if there be sin unconfessed, that we would confess it so that we might be able to worship Thee and hear Your Word proclaimed. How we pray, Father, that you would teach us by your Spirit, for we know that all is vain unless your Spirit comes and work in our midst. So we cry out to you, Father, to open our eyes to see, unstop our ears to hear. Teach us your Word, for we know that we live in an evil day, Father, and we need to be faithful in praying this petition to forgive us of our sins, to deliver us from evil. And how we pray, Father, that we would have a grasp of this truth so that we would be delivered from evil each and every day so that we might live for you and bring honor and glory to your name. We pray, Father, for those who are unconverted this day who sit under the preaching of your word. We pray that today would be the day of salvation, that you would send your spirit to change hearts, to open eyes, to unstop ears, We pray, Father, that you would do that work by your Spirit here as well as wherever the gospel is proclaimed this day, that many would be brought into your kingdom for your praise and your honor and your glory. We ask that you be with those unable to be with us this day. You know their reasons and their needs. Minister to those who are sick. Place your healing hand upon their bodies so that they might gather with us soon for worship. Pray for those who would be away even those that will be traveling this week, that you would give them safety and to bring them back to us safely. Pray for those that would not be here due to the lack of concern for their own need to be fed by your word and your spirit. Work in their hearts and bring them back in true repentance. All this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me again to Matthew chapter 6. One verse that we began looking at last week, and we will finish up today, verse 13. Matthew 6, verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Listen to these words. Our young people are growing up at a period when the foundations of the earth are out of control. Subtle and restless efforts are made to poison their hearts and pervert their ways. Nothing, therefore, can be more important than to fortify them with sound principles. This is terrible. Young people are just in a dreadful predicament. I can't believe the kind of things that are going on, the books that are out there. This is part 
of Charles Bridges' preface to his book on Proverbs, written in 1846, 176 years ago. Silent movies weren't even invented at that time. And look at what he is saying pertaining to the day that he lived in. Can you imagine if Charles Bridges was beamed into the 21st century and watched one episode of the wonderful program MTV? He would be shocked, as he was in his own day, but more so today. Now, a hundred years before Bridges came on the scene, Jonathan Edwards and others began to pray and call for a spiritual awakening to take place due to the sad condition of the church and the nation at that time. They asked God to come in power and visit His church. What motivated the call by Jonathan Edwards and others was the humanism, the secularism of the day. Of course, this was being taught in Harvard and Yale. Edwards and most of his friends had graduated from Yale. Most realized that, most do not realize that at that particular time before Yale, Harvard had been founded in 1636 based upon Christian values. Listen to what the handbook says in one place. This is Harvard handbook. Plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well that the main end of his life, talking about the student, and his studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. And therefore to lay hold of Christ as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. That was in the handbook of Harvard in 1636. Their motto at Harvard, Truth for Christ and the Church. The first 70 years, every single president of Harvard was a minister. It has changed. The chaplain today at Harvard is an atheist. Now, I don't know how an atheist can be a chaplain, but that's what they call him. And he's even written a book, Good Without God. Truly sad that Harvard began to veer away from the truth. And as a result, the Congregationalists decided that they would start their own school. And Yale was founded in 1701. Sadly, the same liberalism that destroyed Harvard destroyed Yale. So Edwards and his colleagues decided that they needed to find and found another school called Princeton in 1746. Well, Princeton, at least, it stayed conservative for about 175 years. And then, of course, it went liberal as well. And Machem, uh, Gretchen Machem spent 23 years there as an esteemed scholar professor at Princeton. But then he realized that they must start a new seminary. 
and that's Westminster Theological Seminary started in 1929. Now why do I mention the moral decline and liberalism of these universities? Was to reveal what occurs when an institution departs from God's word, when it departs from God's truth. When you reject God's wisdom and begin to embrace humanism. And that's what's happened. And due to this rejection of righteousness, they therefore turn to embracing evil. Now, of course, they would deny that, but yet that's exactly what they embrace. You either are righteous or you're evil. There's no in-between. Of course, this also began to happen in the Southern Baptist Convention in their seminaries in the early 1900s. Liberalism began to penetrate them, and Southern Seminary, the first seminary, became very liberal. But thank goodness, the Southern Baptist Convention and its constitutions, its constitution is able to bring a seminary that goes astray back by grassroots movement where the churches themselves are able to elect officers to go and be on the board, and the board is the one that oversees the seminary, so therefore you're able to elect officers that implicate to the seminaries what they must do. And that's what happened at Southern Seminary with Al Mohler coming in. And of course he's asked the professors, do you believe in abstract principles that Boyce wrote? And those that not, did not believe in that, he immediately fired and began to institute a seminary that was based upon those truths that were founded upon the seminary and was able to return it to its historical Calvinistic roots. Sad to say, our Baptist colleges are not under the Southern Baptist Convention. They're under the local state conventions, and therefore a lot of our Southern Baptist uh, colleges have gone astray. Many of them are liberal, sad to say, but some are not, and we're thankful for that. One of the contemporary presidents of Harvard said, Things divine have been central neither to my professional life or my private life. Issues of divinity do not influence me in my professional capacity nor do they play any role of significance in my private life. How sad. David Myers, in his book, The American Paradox, subtitled Spiritual Hunger in an Age of Plenty, written in 2000, said, We are better paid, better fed, better housed, better educated, and healthier than ever before. And with more human rights, faster communication, and more convenient transportation than we have ever known. Ironically, however, for the 30 plus years from 1960 until 1990s, America has slid into a deep social recession that dwarfs the comparative milder and briefer economic Recession that often dominates the news in politics. Had you fallen asleep in 1960 and awakened in 1990, 
you would overwhelm, be overwhelmed by all the good tidings, feel pleased as the cultural shift. Would you be? Here are some other facts that would greet you. Since 1960, the divorce rate has doubled. The teenage suicide has tripled. The recorded violent crimes rate has quadrupled. The prison population has quintupled. The percentage of babies born to unmarried parents has sixtupled. Cohabitation has increased sevenfold. Depression has soared to ten times pre-war war two level by one estimate. Now, that's from 1960 to 1990. That's 32 years ago. In spite of all of these facts, what did the leaders of our country do? Were they like Edwards and his other companions began to pray for a spiritual awakening? No. Instead, they decided to continue to promote the same things that they had already promoted. The same sins compared to those sins have even become worse. Of course, we know that we just had an election recently. And there in California, they passed an amendment to the Constitution. And here's what the California Senate president said. Tonight we celebrate productive freedom, reproductive freedom, and that loud message that abortion is and forever will be protected in California. He said that at an event there in Sacramento celebrating this amendment to the Constitution. Went on and said, history has shown us that human rights must be enshrined in our Constitution so that no extremist welding power can infringe upon them. He's speaking about us, that we as Christians cannot infringe upon their so-called rights. Of course, they're forgetting the rights of certain individuals, and that's the individual within the womb. California is one of three states in the recent election which passed these amendments in their constitution which established a right of abortion and reproductivity, freedom to their own situation up to the day that the baby would be born. Evil. Liberal states are teaching our children that it's okay to have sex, to be a homosexual, to live in an unmarried situation. And if you have a baby, then it's okay to go ahead and murder that baby in the womb before or even after that baby is born. Remember, one of the acts was that if a baby is born during an abortion, that that baby was to be treated like a human being. They overrode that. Folks, in other words, if a baby is born in this particular state, I believe it was Vermont, then therefore it's okay to go ahead and let the baby lie there and die. We also have seen 
at the Marriage Defensive Act that was given in 1996 and signed by Bill Clinton, which of course stated at that time that no state of the United States shall require to give effect of any marriage between a person of the same sex under the law of any such jurisdiction or right or claim arise from it. So in other words, what it was saying back in 1996 is that we will not approve of same-sex marriage. This past week, the Senate, by a vote of 62 to 37, voted to move forward with the Respect for Marriage, which is really, as Al Mohler says, Disrespect for Marriage Act, which, of course, gives the state authority for same-sex marriage, overturning the Defense of Marriage Act of 16, I mean 1969. States promote same-sex marriage, sex change for children. Even our own president has promoted such a sinful act on national TV. Drugs are rampant killing over 100,000 citizens this past year, and very little is being done about it. Very little is being done about our borders, even though the one that's over our borders said they are safe and secure, which is ridiculous. Romans 1 continues to be fulfilled right before our eyes. It is obvious to me that God is executing judicial hardening due to the sins of this nation that we live in. What is judicial hardening? In other words, a person cannot see that which is so evident to them, but yet God has turned them over to their sin, just as it speaks of there in Romans chapter 1. People cannot continue to ignore and violate God's law without great consequences. They think they've won. They think they have freedom to do whatever they please, but yet they are so blind they do not see what they have done. They are on the Titanic partying, and they're blind to it. As we live in this sinful world, Four requests are made in the Lord's Prayer. Ask for providing grace. Give us. Ask for pardoning grace. Forgive us. Preventing grace. Lead us not. And preserving grace. Deliver us. Last week we learned... Why temptation comes into the life of a Christian and how we as Christians are to respond to those temptations that come into our life. How we must pray for a sensitive conscience so that we're aware, so that when temptation comes our way, we are able to overcome it and be victorious. The second part of 
this petition, or some say that this is the seventh petition, whichever one is fine with me. I'm not going to argue. I like seven because that gives us the number of completion. But the second part, or the seventh petition, and deliver us from evil. As I have pointed out already, we live in an evil day. If you don't realize that, you're blind. And I hope you realize that. I hope you were able to see that. All you have to do is simply read the paper, read the internet, turn the TV on, and you will see that we live in an evil day. Therefore, we must pray for God to deliver us. This is what Jesus is telling us in the Lord's Prayer when He says there, but deliver us from the evil one or from evil. Now, we have to understand that Jesus has prayed for us. He prayed in John 17, 15, that we would be kept from evil of sin. He says, I do not pray that you shall take them out of the world. He's not going to take us out of the world. Eventually he will, but he said, I'm not going to take you out of the world. He says, but that you shall keep them from the evil one. In other words, while they're in the world, Jesus is praying that he will keep us from evil, that he will keep us from the evil one, that we will not fall into sin. A.W. Pink says, to be kept from the evil of sin is a far greater mercy than deliverance from the trouble of temptation. So we must pray that, that God would keep us from the evilness of sin. Now with this in thought in our mind, I want us to look at two truths this morning concerning this petition. Leave us, or not lead us, but deliver us from evil. First, I agree with those who believe that the best translation is evil instead of evil one. No doubt we want to be delivered from the evil one, but we also want to be delivered from all evil. So predominantly it is intended in the Greek that it would be from all evil, even though the evil one is included in that. Throughout Scripture we are taught to pray for deliverance. Deliverance of all kind, deliverance of all degree, occasion of evil. From the evil, the power, the subtle one, from the powers of darkness, from the evil of this day and all that incites, ensnares, tempts, or deceives us. And from the evil of our own heart. We have to realize that our heart, even though we are saved, our heart still has a corrupt nature that has to be dealt with. It has to be restrained, subdued, and finally eliminated. Of course, it will not be eliminated until we get to glory, but we are to be dealing with it. As Ephesians 5.16 says, Redeem the time because the days are evil. So we must redeem our time. How do we redeem our time? Well, we spend it in doing that which is good, that which is pleasing to God, and spending time in prayer to God. And also pray in this prayer daily. Remember, it's an outline. It gives us a formula of how we are to pray. So every day we ought to be praying to our Heavenly Father, do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from evil. This petition expresses a desire to be delivered. I hope you have a desire to be delivered from evil. 
that shows whether you are a Christian or not. From all that would harm you as a Christian, especially from all sin, which is opposed to holiness. For holiness is that which is of God, and God wants us likewise to be holy, to pursue after holiness. So therefore, anything that is contrary to God is what we ought to stay away from. He has told us in Scripture, Be ye holy as I am holy. That means we must avoid all evil. We must avoid the evil one. For Satan is designated as the evil one, the wicked one. We see in Scripture it says, Above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to squelch all the fire darts of the wicked one. So we see that God has given us a defense weapon to be able to ward off His fiery darts that come our way. 1 John 2.13b says, I write to you young men because I have overcome the wicked one. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides you and you have overcome the wicked one. 1 John 3.12 Not as Cain who was the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. And then 5, 17, 18 through 19. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Now we talked about that a little bit last week. That means he does not have a continuous sin pattern in his life. Not that he doesn't sin. He does sin, but it's not a continuous pattern of the same sins. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So this worldly system we see lies under the sway of the wicked one, but not we as Christians. We are different. Now we know that sin is evil. We see that in Romans 12, 9. The world is evil, Galatians 1, 4. Our corrupt nature is evil, Matthew 12, 35. But how does this devil seek to gain advantage over us? 1 John 2, 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. These three things are Satan's tools to seek to entrap us, to seek to snare us, to seek to deceive us, to lead us to do evil. And we can call them Satan's agents. So when we pray, we must pray to be delivered from these three. What are they? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, the pride of life. Now Paul tells us in Colossians 1.13 that we have been delivered. What have we been delivered from? The power of darkness. But he goes on. And translated into the kingdom of Christ. We are his soldiers, Christ's soldiers. We are ready for battle. In other words, Satan no longer has lawful authority over you and me if we are Christians. 
He has no power over us unless we allow Him to have power over us. Some of you are old enough to remember Flip Whipson, who was a comedian many, many years ago. That tells you how old some of us are. And he always used to say, the devil made me do it. Well, as an unbeliever, I believe him. The devil made him do it. But the devil cannot make us as Christians do anything. He cannot lead us astray. But this must be remembered that Christ has given us victory over Satan. Now, this doesn't mean that our adversary doesn't use awesome and oppressive power. Though he cannot rule over us, though he cannot have authority over us, we know that he continues to harass us and stir up our enemies against us. We will use, he will use the internet to inflame our lust and to disturb our peace. And this is why it is our constant need and duty to pray each day for deliverance from his schemes. Now Satan's preference to incite us and deceive us by prolonged self-indulgent in some sin that we are particularly inclined to. As I mentioned last week, Some are inclined to certain sins when others have no inclination whatsoever to those sins. But that particular person is inclined to other sins that that person is not inclined to. And Satan knows that. He is wise. And he will fire his fiery darts. He doesn't waste any darts. He knows. He knows what sins are in your life. So therefore he aims very carefully to try to inflame some sinful act in your life. Any that is given to drunkenness must avoid alcohol. You hear me? If you are given to drunkenness, you are to be a teetotaler. You are to avoid it because Satan will use it at some time or another to cause you to be drunk. If you're given to pornography, then you must not prowse the internet. You must be careful. You must guard your eyes. You must do whatever you need to do to your computer so that you are not given to that evil. Also, if you know of a particular sin in your life, such as simply wasting time, that's a sin. Do you realize that? What did we read just a moment ago? Redeem your time. If you waste your time, Get off Facebook. Get off social media. Don't waste your time. Be disciplined with your time. If you spend what you don't have, then you need to cut up your credit card so that you can't spend what you don't have. You need to watch your finances so that you do not get in debt because Satan will do whatever he can to destroy your life. If you fall asleep in worship service, then you need to go to bed early on Saturday night so that you won't fall asleep in worship service. Do you hear what I'm saying? We must be wise. We must have precautions in our life. We must make sure that we do everything within the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to overcome sin because all of it is by grace. It's by grace. Christ living in our life and enabling us to overcome these things. Remember what John Owen said. Be killing sin or sin will be killing 
you. Etch that in your mind. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. The power of the Holy Spirit enables Christians to put to death sin, to grow in righteousness through holy living and studying of His Word in prayer. We must constantly be praying that our corrupt, sinful nature would be mortified. But remember that when the devil cannot cause you to commit some gross sin, he will seek to get you to commit some evil deed. When a believer falls into sin, the devil seeks to make him at ease in that sin so that he has no remorse for the sin. In other words, it becomes something of a habit. He relaxes in it, just as Christian fell asleep there in the mellow. But God will not allow His child to stay there. Remember the sin of King David? Did he repent immediately after he had committed all of the sins that he did? No. It was at least nine months. How do we know? Because remember what Nathan said to him when he came to him, David had remained silent. And when he confronted him about his sin, he stated in there that the baby would die. So it was sometime around the time that the baby was coming. Satan used David to bring shame upon the name of God. And Nathan pointed that out to him there in 2 Samuel 12, 9. Why have you despised the commandments of the Lord to do evil in His sight? And he goes on in verse 14. By this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. They blasphemed the name of the Lord because of David and his sin. If we, as Christians, know of someone in sin, it's our obligation to confront them in a loving way and call them to repentance. Now, of course, anytime you do that, you must first make sure as the old saying goes, that you take care of your own little red wagon before you try to deal with someone else's. And I believe that's one reason why a lot of Christians will not go and talk to another Christian about their sin because they haven't taken care of their own spiritual duty. But we must take care of our own spiritual duties before we try to deal with a brother in sin. Remember years ago here in MacArthur, John MacArthur shared at a meeting I was at about one time when he as pastor was called upon by a wife, and she said, my husband has left me for a younger woman. And John MacArthur turned around and picked up the phone and, and called this man. He had not changed his number. The man asked, answered, and he said, Bill, what are you doing? What are you doing leaving your wife? For another woman? Do you know what, realize what kind of sin that is? How that's a sin against God and against your family and against the church? 
He shared other things with him, and he said, also God's grace, the man left the younger woman and came before the church and came before his wife and publicly repented. John MacArthur had not done that. Would that man have repented? You see the responsibilities that we have to watch over one another and care for one another? James tells us in James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, Brethren, if any among you wander from the truth and someone turns to him, turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. you see how important it is? You see what he says there? He has saved one from error and a multitude of sins, saved a soul from death and covered a multitude of sins. When God chastens us for evil, Satan tries to cause us to complain against God's discipline or even drive us into despair to where we say, woe is me, so that we give up seeing that we are simply useless for the Lord from then on. And if he fails, he will use other methods to attack you. He will use friends and family to oppose you. Even in the case we saw of Job as his own wife turned against him. How we must remember that this is a reason that we must pray diligently deliver us from evil every day. Remember those words that Jesus prayed. I do not pray that you shall take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. See, Jesus doesn't pray that we will be exempt from temptation. For he knows that we will be assaulted by Satan. Assaulted within and assaulted without. So he prays that we would be delivered from evil. Second, this petition, deliver us from evil, reveals that we must seek divine illumination. Divine illumination so that we are able to detect Satan's devices. Paul says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul said we're not ignorant of them. Now how come we're not ignorant of them? Because he tells us in Scripture, so therefore we must know Scripture. In verse 14 he goes on and he says, For Satan himself transformed himself into an angel of light. Now this one who is able to transform himself into an angel of light deceived Adam and Eve. He that is evil was able to come into the presence of two perfect individuals, two sinless individuals. They were not given to sin. There was no bent to sin as we are. But he was able to deceive them. So therefore, we must look to the Spirit to enlighten us to be able to discern His snares, 
for he's subtle. He's clever. Of course, he's not like God. He's not all-knowing, but he is wise. Last week, my wife saw a post. In that post, one lady was asking about a particular TV show. And someone responded. They said, I would rate it R+. So this lady responded to that lady. Well, we won't be watching it then. And then others began to tune in and said, oh, but it's a good show. She said, there is already enough evil in the world, and I'm not going to bring that evil into my home. See, you can't do a whole lot about the evil in the world, but you can deal with it in your own home to a certain extent now. Don't be deceived by calling good evil. That's what's happening in our day. We're calling, or I should say evil good. We're calling evil good in our day. And we're being influenced by the world. I'll be honest, there is very little on TV that is not filled with evil. Hollywood, those in Hollywood, the actors, the majority of them are evil folks. They live wicked lives. And they are seeking to penetrate our homes They're wanting, just as the ones there in California, and one of the reasons why California had the amendment, they didn't need the amendment. California already had that law on books to murder a baby all the way up to the day it's born. They did it, and they boast about doing it, to lead the nation in following their example. That's what the own governor said. And the same thing's happening in Hollywood. They're wanting to destroy the family. They're wanting to destroy your children. And we must do everything within the power of the Spirit to stand against it. We must pray for strength to resist Satan's attacks. He's powerful. And we cannot stand against Him in our own power. We must have, as Paul tells us there in Ephesians chapter 6, on the whole armor of God. And we must look to the power of the Holy Spirit to give us victory. I remind you of Paul's word. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the only way that we can overcome sin. That's the only way we can overcome evil. is by the strength that comes by the grace of God. Only as we are energized by the Holy Spirit are we able to overcome temptation and evil. See, the pleasures of this world are very attractive to our eyes and to our flesh. If you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, and ladies, if you're not going to Bible study and you're able to go to Bible study, ladies' Bible study, please do so. It's not too late to come on and get involved. They're going through Pilgrim's Progress. Progress, and it's so good to be able to look at the Christian life and the pilgrimage of the Christian life. And we see that when Pilgrim and, and when Pilgrim becomes Christian and they go to Vanity Fair, Vanity Fair, which is its world, 
And all of the things of this world are seeking to entice Christian and, and hopeful into sin and lead them astray. And the same thing happens to us. So we can see the parallelism there of Pilgrim's Progress in our own life and how we must live a godly life to overcome sin because we're bombarded. The things of this world are attractive. Remember the three things that we've already mentioned. They're attractive in all three of those areas. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Seeking to draw us into that evil. And we must flee evil. We must flee from such things. We must put them to death. Crucify the flesh. Remember we read last week in our scripture reading, Old Testament reading, about Achan. He saw eyes. He saw. He saw that gold. He saw those things that he wanted. And then what? Then he wanted to possess it himself. He coveted it. What was the end result of his evil act? What was the end result? He lost everything. He lost everything. He took it. And he possessed it. But then he lost it. He lost his possessions. He lost his family. And he lost his own life. What do we learn from that? Well, we learn the saying that says, Sin will take you further than you ever expected to go. It will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever expected to pay. How true that is. We must always remind ourselves that sin will cost you more, too much. So we must pray, deliver me from evil. We must look to God's grace so that we are able to mortify the flesh, put to death that remaining corruption in our life so that it isn't allowing us, allowed to bring us down and to bring shame upon our Lord Jesus Christ in His name. We live in a day when so many claim the name of Christ and they've fallen. So many ministers have fallen. It's a warning to us as ministers to be on our name. Guys who are studying for the ministry, keep that in mind. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to Him day in and day out because there's nothing more that Satan wants to do than to destroy a pastor, a minister, to bring shame upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can become too busy as pastors, we can become too busy as elders. We can become too busy as deacons, as leaders of the church. We're too busy if we don't spend time in prayer. We must be praying this prayer daily. You're too busy as a father if you don't spend time in prayer every day. Praying for yourself, praying for your wife, praying for your children. We must pray this prayer deliver us from evil. See, we can't always put the blame on Satan. 
Often it's our fault when we allow His fiery darts to strike us in certain places. Why do I say it's our fault? Because He's given us a shield, has He not? And if we don't use the shield, those fiery darts are going to hit us and penetrate us and cause us to fall. If we're not putting to death our own internal corruption, we're leaving ourselves wide open for falling into evil. So we shouldn't blame Satan if we willingly allow evil into our heart. A.W. Pink said, Salvation from the love of sin always precedes deliverance from its dominion. Did you hear that? Salvation from the love of sin. Christ saved us from the love of sin and that always precedes deliverance from its dominion in our life. And this petition involves repentance. When we yield to sin... Sin will harden our spiritual sensitivity. Ephesians 3.13 says, Exhort one another daily while the day is called today. Lest any of you harden through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin hardens your heart if it's not repented of. Only divine grace can free us from bold indifference and work us in us so that godly sorrow comes about in our life. As Paul says, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of this world produces death. See, there is a sorrow that is a worldly sorrow that produces death. In other words, a person may be sorry for a little while, but then he gets over it, you know. Somebody does something wrong, say they're, say they're drinking and they have an accident and the person's killed that's with them, they're sorrowful for that. But you know what? They get over it quick. I know of a situation years ago where a bunch of kids were going and the guy was drunk, he had a wreck and one of the girls were killed. Then not long after that, a year or so later, again, the same thing happened. Alligator tears. But there was no godly sorrow. There was no godly repentance. Because if there had been godly sorrow and godly repentance, then he would have never touched this stuff again. See, true repentance is evidence when we confess humbly before God. When we're like the publican crying out to Him, not even able to lift our heads up to God, but we smoke our breath and said, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. There's no relief until the Holy Spirit sprinkles our conscience with the clean blood of Christ, cleansing blood of Christ. And when this is done, then there's true restoration, renewal, deliverance from evil, and the fellowship with God. As, as David writes after, after he had committed his sin, then he pins that wonderful psalm, one of the most glorious psalms there is, Psalms 51 as he cries out to God, knowing that God had given him restoration, renewal, deliverance. See, God is able to overrule our backsliding and bring good out of it. 
No way do we condone David's sin. But God brought good out of it. I mean, we wouldn't have that wonderful Psalms. Psalms 51. Finally, what we pray for, we must strive to practice. We can always pray, deliver us from evil. But the question is, are we striving to practice it? We must strive. Otherwise, we mark God. Do you hear that? If we don't strive to practice it, we mock God. If we ask God to deliver us from evil and carelessly rush into some place of temptation, we are mocking God. We're to be disciplined in our life. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, we're able to be disciplined. But if we don't seek to be disciplined, if we're not praying, if we're not watchful, and those two are never to be separated, again, I point out that it is our special duty to mortify our lust, to make no provision for the flesh, to avoid every, did you hear that? Every, to avoid every appearance of evil, to resist the devil, to love not the world, neither the things in it. Did you hear what I just said? That's what Scripture is telling us, to mortify our lust, to make no provision for the flesh, to avoid every appearance of evil, to resist the devil, and to love not the world, neither the things in it. Memorize those verses. Keep them in your mind. Tell the Spirit of God to bring them to your mind when that time of temptation comes so that you will have victory over the temptation and not fall into evil and be delivered from evil. See, the more that we grow in the likeness of Christ by regulating our life, how do we regulate our life? By the Word of God, by studying the Word of God, by meditating upon the Word of God, as we regulate our life by the Word of God, the more we shall be able to overcome evil with good. So let us labor diligently to maintain a good conscience and seek to live each day as though we knew that it was our last day here on this earth. You understand what I'm saying? If today, if you knew without a shadow of doubt in your mind that tonight you were going home to be with the Lord, what would you do? Hmm? Would you go out and put yourself in the way of temptation? No way. Not if you're a Christian. I mean, you want to prepare to meet the Lord. I mean, you'd spend the rest of your day doing everything you could within your power to prepare for that day. Well, you know what? This could be our last day. We don't know. We're not promised tomorrow. Let us set our affections on the things that are above. Psalms 128.1 states, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in His ways. You want to be blessed? Fear the Lord. Walk in His way. 
and pray sincerely, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, we know these are powerful words. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We know that apart from Christ, we have no power to be delivered from temptation or evil. So I pray, Father, for anyone here this morning that does not have this power, that today would be the day of salvation, that their eyes would be open, that they are totally powerless. Powerless over sin until they come to Christ. Oh, Father, how we pray that we who are Christians would put on the whole armor of God, walk in the Spirit, bring forth the fruit of the Spirit, abide in Christ, put to death the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Give us victory, Father. Use us to be your witnesses in this world. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.